in Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simply the best portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Listen, the truth of the matter is that every unsaved person has a deep-seated hostility towards God's standards of holiness as expressed in the Ten Commandments. Because the human heart is bent towards evil. If you've been around small children, you know that they need no training in how to misbehave. We are born selfish. In fact, the property laws of toddlers are something like this. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, eh, then it's yours. (laughs) Let's not kid ourselves. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. On that encouraging note, welcome. This is Verse by Verse, and we're glad to have you with us today as Pastor Steve Kreloff wraps up this second three-part message about the nature of the church. Steve has been the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is our way of making his practical Bible teaching available to you and our other listeners. The main source of these lessons is in Matthew chapter 16, but today, Pastor Steve begins by sharing some thoughts on what Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul said, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Here's Pastor Steve now to continue. Now let, let's go through this. What, what is he talking about? In these verses, Paul is describing all of humanity, all of humanity in terms of our relationship with God before conversion. The first thing he says is that we were dead in sins and trespasses, or trespasses and sins, meaning that we were born with a sin nature that we inherited from Adam. We got it from our fathers, who got it from his father, got all the way back to Adam. And because of that sin nature, we were uninterested, unaware, and unable to see our need for Christ. We couldn't care less about surrendering our lives to the Lord. However, before our conversions, we certainly cared about something. We didn't care about the Lord, but we certainly cared about some other things. What? Paul says we walked according, verse 2, to the course of this world. In other words, we followed the value system of our world as well as our sin nature, which is both our world, our society, and our sin nature. They are opposed to God. Now, you may have grown up very religious, even morally upright, but You, like everybody else, lived only to satisfy the longings of your sin nature, which means that instead of seeking to please God, you sought to please yourself and whatever you found personally pleasurable. 
That is precisely what Paul said in verse 3 when he said, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You did whatever your flesh and mind told you to do. But it's important that we not misunderstand Paul. He isn't saying, and this is critical that you understand this, Paul is not saying that we were simply too busy doing our own thing to obey God. We were just living it up and we were too busy. He's saying that the reason we indulged in the desires of the flesh and mind is because we were hostile towards him. We weren't too busy. Made ourselves that way. We were not neutral, as if you could go either way, depending on what home you were born into. Your parents were Christians. Well, you certainly would go that way. Or if you had the right religious training or you came to the right church. No, that's not it at all. You weren't born neutral towards God. You're born into this world like all of us, opposed to God, hostile, enemies. We were at enmity with God, opposed to all of his holy standards, insistent on living according to the way we chose to live. It's exactly what Paul said. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Paul said, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. The mind set on the flesh is the unsaved unconverted person. It's hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. Note this, it's not even able to do so. Unsaved person can't even obey God. It's not, he's not interested. She's not interested, but they're, they're not even capable of it. And those who are in the flesh, meaning the unsaved, cannot please God. No wonder Paul said in Romans chapter 3, 10 and 11, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. No one seeks after him. Nobody. Now, this concept of being in opposition towards God may seem foreign to many of us because that's not what you've been taught growing up. You may have been told that you are a decent person, a law-abiding person, a good person, a church-going, respectable person, not like others. Do you know how you can tell if you hate God or not? And all of us before conversion hated God. Take a good, serious look at the high standards of the Ten Commandments and see if you're interested in living by them. Unsaved people are in opposition to the high standards of the, of the Ten Commandments. I'll never forget the time I was finishing up a, a run, a, a jog in my neighborhood, and um, very, very rare, a young man uh, just came alongside of me and struck up a conversation. I thought, why would you come alongside of a stinky, smelly runner who is sweating profusely? Why would you do that? And um, we started talking, and the conversation came around to the gospel, and I was sharing with him his need for Christ, and he said, you know what? I, I keep the Ten Commandments. I said, really? Would you tell me what they are? The conversation ended very quickly. This man didn't know the Ten Commandments. Hardly anybody does, but they all live by it. Yeah, I'm a good person. I I try to live by the commandments, 10 commandments. He didn't even know what they are. Listen, the truth of the matter is that every unsaved person has a deep-seated hostility towards God's standards of holiness as expressed in the 10 commandments because the human heart is bent towards evil. So it covets what others have. And yet, one of the commandments says, you shall not covet. It rebels against authority that's put over it. And yet, the commandment says, you should honor your mother and father, the first authority over you. It lies in order to benefit itself. It steals. The commandment says, don't do that. 
It, it's proudly ambitious. It loves self more than God and more than others. It lies, as we said. It, it is self-centered. It is jealous over what others possess. It is lustful. And it does not love God. It only loves itself. Why? Because that's the nature of the sin nature. It can't do anything else. You can't make it better. It just is. Now, this is the condition of the human heart of every person born into this world. So the question is, then, then how in the world then does Jesus build his church when no one seeks after him and everyone is spiritually dead and everyone is hostile towards him? The answer is that he first changes our hearts. He changes our hearts of those whom he saves so that we want to come to faith in him. We will come to him. He first does a work in changing our hearts. The Bible calls this regeneration. Regeneration, which means he he makes you alive. We'll talk about that in a moment. But how does he do all this? It doesn't start with regeneration. It began in eternity past when the father decided to sovereignly elect those who would become Christ's church. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read this marvelous, marvelous two verses. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. I hope that grips your heart. Because what this is saying is so deep and so profound that it would be appropriate to just fall on our face before him. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father chose some, not all, some to be saved. What an amazing truth. Before the very universe that we live in came into existence, the church was in the heart and mind of God. Listen to these precious words by Charles Spurgeon in describing God's electing love of his church from eternity past. He wrote, in the very beginning, when this great universe lay in the mind of God like unborn forests in the acorn cup, long ere the echoes awoke the solitudes, before the mountains were brought forth, long ere the light flashed through the sky, God loved his chosen creatures. Before there was any created being, when the air was not fanned by an angel's wing, when space itself had not an existence, when there was nothing save God alone, even then in that loneliness of deity and in that deep quiet and profundity, his bowels moved with love for his chosen. Their names were written on his heart, and then were they dear to his soul. Jesus loved his people before the foundation of the world, even from eternity. Now, in case you're thinking, as many do, well, that's not fair. That's not fair that God should elect some to salvation and not all. Then keep in mind that if God didn't elect some, then no one would ever be saved. Because if you think it's not fair, you're still thinking that people are neutral, that they really want to get into heaven. It's just that God bars the door and says, no, only the elect. No, the truth of the matter is we were all running from him. Nobody's neutral. We're all hostile towards him. And the fact that he chooses some who will believe in him is just mercy. If you want fairness and you say, well, that's not fair, don't look for fairness in the doctrine of God's sovereign grace and election. You'll only see mercy there. 
If you want fairness and justice, it's called going to hell forever for all of us. That's fairness. That's justice. The fact that he chooses some to believe is just pure and undeserved mercy. Folks, get that. It's so important. So before the worlds were even made, God chose some who would become believers and make up the church. But if no one actually seeks him, then how does he bring people to himself? They're spiritually hostile. They're dead. How will anyone ever be interested in coming to Christ for salvation if they're dead? Well, I alluded to it before. The answer is that that those whom he chooses to salvation, whom he chose before the foundation of the world, who are spiritually dead like everybody else, are given by God's sovereign moving in their lives, they are given spiritual life as an act of God's sovereign grace. Look once again, Ephesians chapter 2. After telling us in the first three verses our present condition when we were not converted, Paul marvelously says in verse 4 and 5 how we got life, how we are now in the body of Christ. How did it come about? He says, and and these are two of the greatest words ever found in the Bible in verse four. That's what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, but God. In fact, Lloyd-Jones preached the whole message on these two words, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. You see that? When we were dead, he made us alive, alive together with Christ. And then Paul adds, by grace you've been saved. How could it be any other way? By grace, you're saved. What is this called? Let's look at Titus chapter 3, because Paul explains it even more in Titus. Titus chapter 3. Notice verses 3 through 7. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, Hating one another. That's our condition before conversion, all of us. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This washing of regeneration is the same thing as being born again. It means that God has sovereignly intervened in your life and he made you alive. He gave you new life. Peter referred to this as becoming a partaker of the divine nature. That's important. This means that at some point in your life, If you were chosen by God, he made you alive spiritually. And when he did that, he gave you a new nature that was responsive to the word of God. Your old sin nature was not. So that when you heard the gospel message in Christ, you did believe it. And you came to to him for salvation. Folks, understand this important part of theology. You didn't believe because you figured it out and then God gave you new life. He first gave you new life. He regenerated you, gave you a new nature. And then right after that, you believed. That's why you believed. He made the first move. Now, it it, it looks instantaneous to us. It looks at the same time. 
for all practical purposes, it comes out like that. But he regenerated you first, and then you believe. This is precisely what Jesus meant in John 10, 27, when he said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He gives them life, they hear his voice, they follow. What this means is this, if you're a Christian, the only reason you came to Christ is because God first changed your heart and disposition. And then he gave you faith to believe. You've been given a new nature. That new nature says, I believe. He grants you repentance. He grants you faith. It's a gift. This is what Jesus meant in John 6, 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Meaning all the Father has given to me in choosing an elect church for me will come to me. And you came to Christ at some point, if you're a believer, in repentance and faith, seeing clearly your lost and sinful condition and your desperate need for salvation only because the Father first gave you Christ in election and eternity past. Then he made you spiritually alive at some point in your life. He opened your heart to the gospel and he gave you faith to believe. And if the Lord didn't do all of this, and I mean all of this, you'd still be dead in your sins and trespasses. That's why Acts 13 48 says, as many as have been appointed to eternal life, believed. That's the bottom line. Those who God appoints, chooses, selects to eternal life before the foundation of the world come to faith in him at a certain point in time. Now, understand this. God never does this apart from the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it isn't that he just broke in on you and you don't know it. No, he broke in your life, regenerated you, As he moved in your heart, he exposed you to the word of God and you responded. But you responded because you have a new nature. That's why. So this is how Jesus builds his church. Changes our hearts, draws us to himself, gives us faith to believe the gospel as he calls us to himself. What then should be our response to this? Is this just theology that we leave here and go, oh, that's interesting? No, no. Let me give you two responses for believers, one response for unbelievers. First of all, far from discouraging us from evangelizing others because of their lost spiritual condition, we ought to be encouraged. No one should look at this and say, well, if only the elect will come to faith, and why bother witnessing? That's not the right response at all. You don't know who the elect are. We're to just be faithful in sharing the gospel. But realize this, no one is beyond God's power to save. No one. No one. See, this is liberating because there are some people who think that they have loved ones who are hardened to the gospel, and they think that, you know what, if they're going to come to Christ, I've got to work them over. I've got to give them the best apologetic, the best defense of the faith. I've got to be articulate. I've got to be as persuasive as possible. Now, I think we ought to be articulate in sharing the gospel. I think we ought to try to be persuasive, but it doesn't depend on us. Just relax. You're not building the church. Just be a faithful witness. It does not depend on bringing someone to church and then making sure that if the church, they they have a long drawn out altar call at the end with eight verses of just as I am, and you're getting that person down there no matter what. They're not getting out of the church until you make sure they're coming forward. Listen, that's the way it is in some circles. It's about pressing them to make a decision. That is foreign to the teaching of the New Testament. 
God tells us that we ought to pray for him to change hearts, to regenerate people as we are faithful in sharing the gospel with others. So I think this is a great encouragement because there's no heart that's so dead that the Lord can't give life to. Second response, your response to the way Christ builds his church should be nothing less than absolute praise, gratitude, and the deepest response and expression of worship. When we really grasp that the only, and I mean only reason, we are saved from hell is because God chose us, made us alive spiritually, changed our hearts, and gave us faith to believe the gospel. How can you do anything else but profusely say, thank you, Lord, with our lips and live in obedience to him by our lives? How can you do anything else? Anything else means you don't understand it. See, that's why, and let me just say this again. I've said it many times. That's why it's so secondary concerning worship being what songs we're singing, whether it's contemporary or whether it's a a hymn. People who are caught up in that don't understand the grace of God. You're not worshiping the songs. You're worshiping the God whom the songs are about. And if you don't understand God's mercy and grace, you're going to get caught up in that silly stuff. When you understand the mercy of God, you know what you say and do? Exactly what Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 11 and into verse Uh, chapter 12, he said, therefore, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. If you understand really God's mercy in your life and how lost you were without any hope apart from his mercy and grace, you will fall down and worship him Paul says, that is your acceptable worship. That's what it's about. Now, if you still don't know Christ, then what should be your response to the way Jesus builds his church? It's very simple. Come to him. Come to him in repentance and faith and become a part of his church. You see, if you have any, any inkling of an interest in being saved from the wrath of God for your sins, it is only because God has given you this interest by working in your heart. So come to him and be saved. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, how incredible these truths are. I say with David, such truths are far too wonderful for me to think that that we, who were so hostile, such enemies, bitter enemies, hating you, hating one another, jealous, covetous, lustful, rebellious, wicked sinners, that even if we didn't do certain things outwardly, we sure thought about them, and if we could get away with it, we would. Lord, we've broken every one of the Ten Commandments many, many, many times. We deserve hell. And yet, only by your mercy and grace, you chose us. Why you chose us and not others, there's no answer for in Scripture. But we rejoice that you chose us. And we pray that we'll be humbled by that. We pray that we'll be worshipful by that. We pray, Lord, that we'll really understand what worship is all about, what praise is all about, what gratitude with our lips and our lives are all about. And we pray for those, Lord, who still don't know you, those perhaps listening to this message, those perhaps who in days to come will listen to this, those who um, are related to people in our church who have, we've tried to witness to, Lord, who are so hard 
thank you that you can save them. We pray for you to regenerate them and bring them to yourself. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These are indeed wonderful truths. It's wonderful that God took the first step and paid the price for our reconciliation to Him. It's wonderful that when we share what He did for us, that He is the one who takes responsibility for conviction and conversion. If not for those wonderful truths, no one would be saved. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air led by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's class is the last part of a three-part message. If you'd like, you can request a CD with the entire message by calling 727-239-0306. Ask for program 4222, The Nature of the Church, Part 2. If you call on the weekend or in the evening, please leave a message with your name and a daytime phone number, and we'll get back to you. Our number again is 727-239-0306.